You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church. Hey, thanks. Hey, I, that was nice. The... Um, if you're visiting with us, I hope you feel really welcomed and encouraged in, your time to get, in our time together. Thanks for uh, being here. I know it's kind of a step of courage to show up in a new community, show up at a church. Perhaps you've been away from church for a long time, and this is a big step for you, and we're just really glad that you've, you've made that step, and I hope you feel, like I said, encouraged and welcomed. Hey, we're, uh, we're going to continue our series, kind of our never-ending series on uh, following Jesus. This is uh, week seven of an uh, eight-part series that we've been calling uh, Follow. And if you've missed you know, all the messages up to this point, if you missed some of the messages up to this point, um, you know, you kinda, we're near the end of the movie, if you will, and so you might feel a little bit lost. Hopefully you won't. I think this kind of stands alone to what we're going to be talking about this morning. But if you do want to catch up, you can always go on our app or on our website and find all of our messages there for your listening enjoyment via podcasts or anything along those lines. And uh, I, I say that because um, I think this has been a helpful series. In fact, I've heard from many of y'all that this has been extremely helpful on what we talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus and, and who's invited to do that and, and why he invites us to do that and all, the, all this kind of thing. So I really want to encourage you to take, take, a, uh, take a listen uh, to that. Today, as you're listening to this sermon, you might be thinking along the way, you know what? Um, I really wish that my boss was here to hear this message. Uh, or if you are a boss or a manager, you lead a team or lead a department or own the whole thing, uh, just know that uh, the people who work uh, for you, work under you, they're going to probably be really glad that you're here this morning to listen to this message. Because today, we're going to uh, get a lesson on leadership from Jesus. And that, that, he's like a good guy to listen to on the topic of leadership, even though I think most likely when we think of Jesus, we don't usually think leader. I mean, it's usually probably not one of the very first words that we associate with Jesus. For some of us, we think first words, we think, you know, God the Son. So others, we think Savior. So others in here maybe trying to figure out who Jesus is, you think more like example or good teacher, but it's... Eh. Leader is actually an incredibly accurate way to describe Jesus. I mean, if, just to use kind of modern day uh, vernacular, if you wanted to, to describe Jesus kind of using business terminology, you could say uh, Jesus uh, uh, birthed a, uh, a brand in three years. And since that, and in, in that time, his brand has survived for over 2,000 years with hundreds of thousands of franchises. And he did it all without racking up a single, single frequent flyer mile. That's pretty impressive. Like he accomplished more than you will ever accomplish, most likely, more than, certainly more than I will ever accomplish in my lifetime. Jesus was a significant, an incredible, extraordinary leader. I mean, that's part of why we're still talking to him, uh, talking about him 2,000 years later, right? And so it would make sense for us to go to Jesus and say, okay, teach us something about leadership. And in the passage we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see kind of him, him kind of give us a secret, the secret to being a great leader. So this should be a little fun as we continue to learn about 
how to follow Jesus. And let me just say, what we're going to see from him in regards to leadership and secret of being a great leader, if you're not, you know, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you, you're, you haven't decided whether what you, you know, if you're going to lean into that or not, then you get, you get the freedom this morning to pick and choose what part of this you want to apply. That's, you get that choice. But for the rest of us, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, it's just helpful to know that what we're going to talk about this morning, this is actually what he, how he invites you to lead and even to push a little bit further, this is really how he commands all of his followers to lead. So let's, let's look into this, see what we can learn from him. If you will, go to Mark chapter 10 in your Bible or pull it up on your phone or I'll have the words up here on the screen to follow along with too. But Mark 10, this is a key passage because uh, you give me a little context. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. You'll see they were on their way up to Jerusalem. And... Um, Though this is not the first time that Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, they've been to Jerusalem multiple times, but this time it's really significant because Jesus knows that it's on this trip to Jerusalem that he's going to be arrested and he's going to be crucified. And so this is a big moment, and he takes a minute as he's headed to Jerusalem with his followers, and he, he stops and he says something to them, something he says that he's talked about on multiple times up to this point. Look, I mean, here it is, Mark 10, 32. He says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And now that, uh, those comments refer to something that Jesus had just taught uh, uh, prior to this about uh, being hard for rich people to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And uh, that's worth reading and going back and, and reading that earlier in Mark 10, but I'm not going to preach that passage this morning. So they're astonished, they're, but they're following him to Jerusalem, and then look what happens. Says, again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. And now notice this word again, like this has happened multiple times. In fact, if you've been with us the last couple of Sundays, you've heard us talk about and go to these passages where Jesus, once they figure out, his disciples figure out who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah, he starts talking to them about what's going to happen to him. And how things are going to get hard and how it's going to get costly for them if they're going to keep following Jesus. He has this conversation over and over again. And here, this is another time that he has that conversation. So he's, again, he you know, takes them aside, tells them what's going to happen to him. And look at what he says. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Now, this is a, um, this is a tender moment. Can you, can you kind of put yourself in the shoes of Jesus and the disciples here? Like they're on the way to Jerusalem and he says, okay, before we get there, guys, I need, I need just to tell you something again because I don't think it's really getting through. So let me tell you again, here, here's what's about to happen. And this time when he shares, he shares more details than, than ever before. Like he actually includes that he's going to be handed over not just by the Jewish religious leaders, but also by the Gentiles, meaning the, the Romans. And then he tells them also where this is going to happen. For the first time, he says it's going to happen in Jerusalem. And they're like, oh, wait, we're headed to Jerusalem. And he's like, exactly, yeah. And then he gets even more explicit with the description of what's going to happen to him. Like he's going to be, you know, he's you know, mocked, spit on. Like this is graphic, right? Like flog him and kill him. Then he's going to rise. Like this is a, <laughs> this is a tender moment. 
Like he, he's, like this is, Jesus knows this is imminent. And this is going to be severe. And it's clearly on his mind as he's headed to Jerusalem. And so he said, hey, guys, I just want you all to know, like, this, is, this is what's about to happen. And then right after saying that, like the very next verse begins then, like the, right, the very thing that happens right after that, this happens. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Could you see the comedy here? Like, this is wild, right? Like, this is Jesus saying, okay, guys, I just want you to know, like, we're headed to Jerusalem. This is where I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be be mocked. I'm going to be spit on. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be killed. And they're like, oh, yeah. But Jesus, like... Sorry to hear about that. That that doesn't sound like fun. Like, uh, but but I was just wanting to know, like, um, before that happens, could you could you promise to do us a favor? Because I, <laughs> like, parents, have you ever had a, a situation with your your kids where you kind of have this tender moment with them and you're trying to talk to them about something kind of heavy or deep, and they're just like their minds are clearly elsewhere, like clearly on themselves. Like you understand this, right? Like I think about when. Uh, Camp, well, I was talking with uh, Camp and Enoch and Della about, hmm, I guess, almost six months ago, a year, yeah, six months ago. Um, my dad, as many of y'all know, has, has cancer. And uh, we were trying to figure out, like, when do we talk to them about that? And he was having a big surgery, and, uh, and he was going to have yeah, spleen removed and part of his lower intestine removed. So it was a big deal. We were going to be at the hospital or he's going to be in the hospital next day. We're going to be at the hospital for a long time with them the next day. And so we figured, like, this is time. We need to tell them at least why we're going to be at the hospital kind of all day waiting on their big daddy. That's what they call my dad, big daddy. And, uh, and so we, we sit them down and kind of high level, but we wanted them to get an idea of what was going on. We tell them about how big daddy's sick and he's going to have a surgery and we're going to be at the hospital. And it's like this somber, like heartfelt, tender moment. And I won't say which kid it was. I don't want to throw them under the bus. But they, they listen to it, and then they say, um, Dad, will we have screen time at the hospital? <laughs> Can we bring our Kindle and watch videos and play games while we're at the hospital? And it's like, okay, right? Like, you just, like, you don't get the weight of what I'm trying to convey to you. And, like, I feel like that's what I think of when I see this interaction. She's just like, I'm going to get mocked and spit on and flogged and killed. And they're like, oh, but can you do us a favor? <laughs> He's like, and Jesus is just unbelievably gracious to James and John. Here's how he responds. He says, um, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. Isn't that, isn't that so gracious? What do you want me to do for you? So they reply, and let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Which is really a weird request, right? I mean, we think, okay, if I could ask Jesus for anything, I don't know if this is what I'm going to ask. But this really does reveal for them what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. That they knew Jesus being the Messiah. What they associated that with is that the Messiah was going to be this kingly ruler who was going to free Israel from Roman oppression and set up God's kingdom on earth and rule from there. And that's what they think about when they thought, think about Jesus being the Messiah. And it's a complete dead giveaway that this is what they're talking about.
talking about? So it's like they brush off the whole, like, you're going to be killed part of it. And they're just like, hey, Jesus, like, this is what we really want you to do for us. That whenever you decide to finally throw off the, messian- the, the, the rabbinical robe that you have and put on a messianic robe and be the king and have all the power, we just want to know, hey, can, can we sit at your left and right in glory, in your kingdom? Is that, can, will you grant us that? And to sit on the left and the right would be you know, the modern-day equivalent of being like the um, like chief of staff and prime minister. So like, this is seats of prominence. This is a, a, a plea for a, a, a position of great power and leadership. And again, this is what they're asking right after Jesus had said this. And Jesus, next couple of verses, I won't read them for you, but basically he just he, he replies again with grace. He says, you know, to sum it up, basically, hey, guys, you don't really know what you're asking. And it, for that matter, it's not up to me to grant who, who sits my left and my right. And while he's explaining that to James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, the other ten, you know, there's 12 disciples, the other ten kind of get wind of this conversation that's happening to the side. And look what, hap- what, look what happens, verse 41. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And we think, well, they should have. How dare them ask that right after Jesus just shares what's going to happen to him? You would think that they would be indignant. Like, James, John, seriously, how can you be so selfish? You're clearly thinking like consumers. You're not into following Jesus because you want to follow him. You're into following Jesus because what he can do for you. And like, he just told us he's going to die, and you're asking him to do a favor. Like, how dare you? But that's not actually why they, they got indignant with James and John. As you read the context, what's clear is that they were actually mad at James and John because uh, they were mad that James and John made a power play before they could make that same power play. They were upset because James and John were asking for these seats of prominence to sit on the left and the right. And they're like, hey, we wanted to ask for that. It's not fair that you would ask for that. Like, you're trying to cut us off at the pass, and we, we didn't get a chance, and we were going to wait till we were in Jerusalem to ask that question. But now you're asking, you're trying to be us. And they're just mad that James and John are trying to get this, get this prominent seat from Jesus. And Jesus is like... <sighs> You guys, this is a teaching moment. And so he calls them over to him. And he says this to him. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. To which they probably would have said, Yeah, yeah, you're right. We know that. I mean, like Jesus is just saying, Y'all know how this works in the world. Like when it comes to leadership, this is kind of how things operate. That those who are in power uh, use their power to lord over those who aren't in power. That those who are in authority use their position of authority to get those under their authority to serve them. To lift them up, to get praise and to get accolades. They, they build their kind of their authority, their kingdom off of, on the shoulders of those below them. You know how that works. Jesus and the Jesus followers would have been like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know how, that, how that works. I mean, for us, it looks like this, right? If you go to just a modern-day flow chart, uh, organizational chart, right? You've got you, 
and then you have the five direct reports under you, and you see that they all exist for you, right? And then you got the direct reports under them, and these guys, they kind of think that they're there for this person, but you know that they're really there really for, for you as well. And like everyone that's under you is there for you to make your life easier, to serve you, to make you successful. This is, you, Jesus is like, you know, you know how this works, right? That those who are in power lord it over those, they exercise authority over those under them. And they would have said, yeah, we know. You don't have to explain that to us, Jesus. That's... <laughs> That's why we want these seats of prominence. We, we don't want to be lorded over. We want to lord over. We want to, we want to be in power. We, we want to be able to tell others what to do and have the blessings come up to us. And then Jesus says something powerful. He says, not so with you. Not so with you. You know how you're in power and everybody exists for you and they're trying to make you great? Uh-huh. Not so with you. You know how everyone who works under you to try to get, get your name to be elevated to, for your praise, for your, for your glory? Uh-huh. Not so with you. Not so with you. And then he flips this whole thing upside down. Here's how he finishes. He says, not so with you instead, like in contrast to how the whole world works when it comes to leadership. He says, instead... Whoever wants to become great among you. Now, pause here. Just get some context here. Great in this verse means lead. Great in this verse means be the boss. All right? Great here means like lording it over, like being in a position of authority. That's what great means. If you say, you want to lead. You want to be great. You want to be a leader. Like, if you want to be the boss, and they're like, yeah, I want to be the boss. Like, you want to run the department. Yeah, I want to run. You want to run the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, we want to run the whole thing. He says, good. It's good to want to be great. It's good to want to lead. If you want to be great, let me tell you how to do it. Here's the secret. If you want to be great, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And they say, Jesus, you're taking all the fun out of being the top dog. Like, I want to be the main person. I want to be the boss because I want everyone else to serve me. Now you're saying that to be the boss, I have to be a servant. Oh, you're taking all the fun out of it. And, and seriously, Jesus, if, we, if I operated this way, we wouldn't get anything done. Like, this doesn't work. The person who's in charge can't be the servant of all. Then how, how would anything ever get done? How would anything ever be accomplished? And perhaps you're feeling that way yourself as you think about this and think about in your own world, like what it would look like to be, you know, if you were a boss or if you are a boss, if you run a team or lead a division, you think, okay, what, what would that actually look like? And think, I don't know. I don't even know how that would work. Like, that... Jake, that probably could work in the church, right? And it's probably a good church thing to, to, to do. Or, uh, you know, perhaps you know, any kind of religious environment. But in the marketplace, if this doesn't work in the marketplace. You can't, you can't have the person who's on top of the organizational chart be the one who's actually looking to be a servant to everybody else. That, that doesn't work. I mean, if you feel that way, let me explain a couple things real quick. First, you need to know what Jesus is not saying, okay? 
for those interested, <laughs> Jesus is not saying, or he's not talking against the value of point leadership. Okay? So point leadership, there's nothing wrong with that. How do we know that? Jesus was a point leader. And he appointed point leaders. So there's, you know, that's not what he's going against here. Another thing that you need to know is that Jesus isn't arguing to say that the point leader, or the, the, you know, the leader, is supposed to just be the servant, like holding the door open and just saying, after you, after you, after you, and I'm not going to do anything, anything today except just after you, after you, like, let me go get you coffee, let me go get your, you know, run your errands, pick up your dry cleaning. Like, <laughs> that's not what he's arguing for. He's not saying that to, to do this, you can never be productive. You can never be you know, moving things forward. We, how do we know that? Well, Jesus was incredibly productive. And he was incre- like he moved things forward in incredible ways. Like he got stuff done and his followers got stuff done. So he's not arguing against not being productive and just, just being a servant the whole time in that sense. What is he actually talking about? Well, if I sum it up, here, let me put it this way. He's saying we're to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. Jesus, here, let me, let me let you in on the secret to great leadership. Want to be a great leader? Here's how, here's how you do it. Leverage your authority for the benefit of those under your authority. Leverage your authority for the benefit of those under your authority. Instead of seeing that you have your authority and your authority there is to be used, to be leveraged, to lord over those so that they, the benefit comes to you. No, no, you are to see that you use that authority so the benefit goes to those under your authority. And again, we might think, okay, well, again, that sounds good in a religious church context, but how does that actually work in the marketplace? But you know what's interesting? Uh, yeah, every, every couple years, every decade at least, uh, leadership books come out uh, you know, all the time asking similar questions. What, what makes a great leader? What do great leaders do? What are the characteristics of a great leader? What are the, what are the three characteristics, the, three, the seven cornerstone habits, the whatever, the 21 uh, principles or you know, whatever. And so those are all those, and they're great books. I read those books. They're awesome books. But when you read those books, what you'll find is that again and again, they rediscover what Jesus says here. Sometimes they give him credit. Oftentimes they don't probably even know that Jesus taught this. It's, they don't give him credit, but they rediscover this truth because this is a truth that in the marketplace, they would say, this is what makes great leadership. For example, let me just cite a really well-known book. Uh, Jim Collins in the book, Good to Great. Perhaps you all have heard of that book. It's literally sold millions and millions and millions of copies, like over 5 million copies. One of the main leadership books that came out in the last decade, 2001. And in, in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, um, you're, kill, you're killing me with the putting that up already. You're still in my thunder. The, uh, don't read that. Um, in that book, he's talking about... Um, the characteristics of what makes a, a level five leader, which is like the cream of the crop leaders, the, 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 the ones that lead the greatest companies, they're doing the, the greatest work, making, you know, selling the most, and all these things. Like this marketplace definitions of what a great leader is. And when he set out to write this book, which is a research book, he says at the beginning, so perhaps y'all have read this, you remember this, he says that he had an idea in mind of what he would find kind of is the defining characteristic that set great leaders apart. And his 
assumption, his you know, hypothesis at the beginning was that the, the defining characteristic that would set great leaders apart would be charisma. That's what he expected to find. That there's great leaders, or there's good leaders, but the ones that are great have this incredible, just magnetic charisma, and they can motivate and inspire and all that kind of stuff. But then he did the research, and his research proved him wrong. And you know what he found was the defining characteristic of great leaders? Humility. Isn't that interesting? Humility. In the book, he says this. Level five leaders, again, his definition, the best leaders, like those that are the most successful in their companies, in, their, in, the, you know, in the marketplace. Level five leaders embody a paradoxical mix of personal humility and professional will, meaning they have a drive to get things done, all right? Like they're not just, you know, just, you know, after you, after you, after you. No, they're moving things forward. They're getting stuff done. But then, but the, the context of what, of that drive is this humility. He goes on, says, they are ambitious to be sure, but ambitious first and foremost for the sake of others, not themselves. I think... I think Jesus would have read that and said, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's what I said 2,000 years ago. You want to know what makes a leader great? You want to be great? Be a servant. See yourself as a slave of all. Know that you're not trying to be great in order to get people to serve you to, for your benefit so that everything rises to the top. No, no, no. No, you, you realize that you're there to leverage your authority for the benefit of those under your authority. That's what makes a great leader. <laughs> great leaders and great books on leadership and all that stuff, just, they just reiterate that. Like this works in the marketplace, friends. And that shouldn't be a surprise because Jesus is pretty wise. He says, this, this, is how, this is what makes a great leader. Use your authority. Leverage your authority for the benefit of those under your authority. Now, um, you might think, okay, how, does, how do you do that? Okay, if I'm going to try to do that, like what practically, let's get practical. What, what does that actually look like? Let me just offer you uh, a simple question that I would encourage you to even begin asking for those who are, you know, have any kind of authority, any kind of influence, any kind of you know, position of uh, power within your marketplace or at home or in any area of influence within the community, whatever. Like, here's the question I think you could use to start putting this in practice. It's a simple question, but I think it's a powerful question. It's the question, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And here's why this question is powerful. is because if you are the point leader, if you're, if you're the boss, if you're, you know, lead the team, if you're you know, the manager, and you go to someone under your authority and you to ask them this question, hey, I know, you know, I don't, I know what you're working on is a big deal, and I just wanted to ask, what can I do to help? They might pass out because they don't see that you're there to help them. They think that they're there to help you, right? Because that's how this is how the world works. See, those under authority are there to, to pop you up, 
to make you look successful, to bring you success. But you say, no, 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 I want, to, I want to know how I can help you. I want to leverage who I am. I want to leverage my power, my influence for you. How can I help you? Then, man, that's completely, see how that turns things upside down? What can I do to help? It's a, it's a powerful question. How do I loan me, how do I loan you, me, my authority, my power, for your benefit? How do I help? What can I do for help? I love that question. I think it's a really practical way to put this, you know, into practice. But I also love this question because it gets to the heart of the Christian faith. Specifically, it gets to the heart of God's posture towards us, most clearly demonstrated in the gospel, which is where Jesus goes next in this passage. And look what he says next. They're still trying to wrap their mind around this whole, like, okay, if you want to be great, be a servant, be a slave to all. And he adds this, for even the Son of Man, that's the way he's referring to himself, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, hey, look, like, I'm just calling you to do what I'm doing. This is, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. So come, come follow me. For see, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Like you think that I'm here to, 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 and you're waiting for me to put on this messianic, you know, kingly robe and to use my power and use my authority to force people to serve me and that I'm going to make Rome subject to me and I'm going to use, you know, I'm going to take the throne and I'm going to force everyone in a military way to come and bow down to me. And that's what you, you think I'm here for. And you think that that's why you want to send my left Am I right? But you don't, you got it all backwards, friends. No, no. I haven't come to be served, but to serve. And I know that y'all need help. Like the whole world, like everyone here, including us, he knows we need help. That, that we've, like, we've messed things up. Like this world is so broken in our lives are broken. And like he would say earlier, we talked about it weeks ago, but like we're sick. There's something wrong with us. And he says, y'all need help. I know that you need help. He would say here that you're captives. Like you're captured by something like sin and death have enslaved you. So I know you need help. You can't help yourselves. I, I, I have to look down and say, what can I do as God to help? What can I do for, how can I give all that I am, all my power and all my authority and all my holiness, how can I take all that I am and instead of seeing those things as an excuse or as a good reason, not just an excuse, but as a good reason to force y'all to worship and serve me. How can I not hold on to the privileges of deity, as Paul would say in Philippians 2? Instead, may I let go of it and humble myself and become a servant. Take all that I am to serve you. How can I help you? So that you, captives, can have your ransom paid, and you can be set free. How can I help? Oh, I know how I can help. I'll lose my life 
so that you can find life. I will give all of me to the point of the cross so that through faith in me, you can have eternal life and be reconciled to God and be brought into his family. How can I help? I will, I'm going to help. I'll do whatever it takes because, see, I'm here not, not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And you know what he says to his followers that day, to us today? He says, hey, hey, follow me. Follow me. See, come on. Don't see authority as being your way to get people to serve you. No, 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 no. follow me. And see that I have come, the one who has all authority, to serve you. Now you can turn around and serve those under your authority. So come on, le- leverage your th- authority on the benefit, for the benefit of those under your authority. Come, follow me. This is how we lead as followers of Jesus, because this is how Jesus led. This is who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus has done for each one of us. So follow me, is what he would say. Now, I think the great way to start is by asking, how can I help? And I think that, I think that you could potentially do that even tomorrow morning. Show up at, you know, if you're a leader, if you're Lead a department, lead a team, lead a company. You peek your head into a cubicle. It's Monday morning. You say, hey, hey I just want you to know, uh, I, w- I want to help you. I want to lend who I am to help you this week. So how, how can I help? And be ready to catch them in case they pass out. Now, again, just to reiterate, friends, we've said throughout the series that if you follow Jesus, you'll do life better. If you follow Jesus, you'll do life better. Even if you don't believe that Jesus is your Savior, you don't know what you believe about him being God and the, like rising again, all that stuff. If you just follow, if you just chose to follow Jesus just because you know, he's a wise teacher, you will do life better. We've seen how that happens with your family. If you do that for, as a spouse, you do that as a friend, it'll impact it. And here you clearly see how it'll impact you as a boss, right? I mean, like how many of y'all have worked in an environment where your boss wasn't, didn't lead like Jesus, but everything existed for them, and you knew that they just saw you as a cog in a machine, and you were there for them. How many of y'all have been in that experience? You know that everybody who's in that environment is looking for another job, right? Don't you know that? But you've also probably, hopefully, you've experienced being in a work environment or working for a boss who lived this way. And really cared about the people underneath them and, and really leveraged their authority on the benefit of those under authority. And you know how productive and refreshing that work environment is. Like you follow Jesus' advice. You will do life better. Like that's just worth pointing out. But, friends, again, if you don't believe that Jesus is your Savior, if you're not sure what, you know, about that side of things, you can pick and choose what part of this you want to apply. It's up to you. But for those of us who are committed to following Jesus, this is how he commands all of us to lead. And I want to encourage you to put it into practice and begin asking, how can I help? And begin considering, Man, how can I leverage my authority for the benefit of those under my authority? Now, um, 
got a lot more I, I, I want to say on this, but I'm going to stop here. I, I did, I'll, I'll add this part. <laughs> I hesitated on teaching this uh, because I don't want to be like, oh, I'm trying to be some leadership guru or, or you know, motivational speaker lives in a van down by the river and just kind of tell, yeah, this is how you lead, all that stuff. Ah, thanks for getting that. Um, but, friends, listen, I think if you're a Christian, you, you, you would agree with this. If Christians would just simply follow Jesus in this area, not, not only, but if they would in this area, don't you see what a profound impact that could have on our community, on our city? If all Christians did it all over the world, like our whole world. Like we would just follow Jesus and that we would see, okay, we're in the marketplace not to get acclaim and fame and our success, but we're there to use our authority, to, be, to leverage it for those under our authority. If we lived that way as Jesus did, that we know to be great is to serve and be a slave of all, if we would do that, man, it would radically change things, wouldn't it? And people would be drawn, or at least they would get an accurate picture of what Jesus is like. If his followers would live this out, and that would cause people, some it would probably cause to want to know Jesus. For others, they might still say, No, I don't, you know, I'm not real interested in Jesus, but I sure like having his followers around. Because who doesn't like having people around who are not thinking about themselves but are thinking about others? But friends, we know that's not the main message that people in the marketplace are saying about Christians right now. And what if we at Midtown Church decided to at least in our areas of influence try to start changing that and we decide to follow Jesus, compelled by knowing that this is what he did for us, that we would turn and do that for others. I'm telling you, it could have a profound impact on our city. People would come to know Jesus. Everyone would be blessed. So I really want to encourage you. This is practical. This is, this is simple. Not simple in the sense of doing it, but simple in the sense of what, knowing what to do. Would you put it into practice? And then let me ask one more thing. For those of you who aren't a boss, you don't lead a team or, or anything like that, good, there's a good chance you will be one day. So tuck this away. But also... Let me tell you, here's what not to do with it. Don't use this to build resent for your boss if they, if he or she is not operating this way. Use this, take this, and cause it to form within you a compassion for them. And use it as a motivator to pray for them. That they would know Jesus and the way that you choose to serve them and love them might be the way that they're going to come to know Jesus. And so don't use this as a measuring stick where you should be more like Jesus if they don't even believe in Jesus. If they're not even considering that. That's not how, what we do with this. Let us, as Jesus said, recognize that all of us at one time were, were under captivity to sin and to death and therefore needed to be ransomed. So don't get mad at them for being captives. Be compassionate towards them and pray for them. And serve them. That hopefully one day they will come to know Jesus. And then together y'all can work on following him. And helping you leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. Okay?
To wrap up this morning, I want to end with communion as we do each Sunday. When communion elements are in front and in the back. Anyone who placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you believe Jesus is your Savior, uh, you're welcome to come and take communion. For those of you who are still undecided about that, then we would ask that you would use this time to wrestle with that. You could stand up, you can walk around, you don't have to stay seated, but we ask instead of taking this one, which isn't something, a sign of what we believe, if you don't believe it yet, then you would abstain from taking it and use this time to decide why you don't believe it or perhaps choose to believe it. We'd love to interact with you on that. In fact, we'll have people in the back, uh, Cameron and Chris in the back to pray with you or to talk with you. If you have any questions, every, that's for everybody. You want prayer in this area. They'd love to pray for you during this time. And then finally, um, for those of us who are taking communion, may the, as we take this, may it be a reminder that guys, this is what Jesus did for us. That his body was broken, his blood was spilled for us because he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And may it come home to our hearts that this is what our God is like. And this is how he has served you. And may it compel you to turn and reflect that to those you interact with during the week, that they would know him and be blessed by him and his followers. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, keeping this story for us that we can know that this is what the key to being a great leader is. That Jesus, you modeled this, you taught this. Leadership books have reaffirmed this again and again. this This is really secret of great leadership, and yet, God, it's so contrary to how we live in our world today. God, will you make us more like you? Thank you, Jesus, for serving us, not coming to be served, but to serve, for giving your life as a ransom for us, that we could be set free, that we would know you and be safe by you. God, may we rejoice in that, and Lord, may you compel us by it to reflect you this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.